0: Well, good morning. Have a seat. Got a full band today, don't we? Where'd they all go? There, there's a couple of them left. <clears throat> when uh, James, James wrote an epistle or a letter, it's down in the back of your Bible, and he's working on this one section and and he's reflecting on the the I don't know, the the power to size ratio in various things of creation. Just, just sometimes the unfair advantage that some small things have and have big proportionate influence on those around them. So the first thing he goes to is like the five-inch bit you put inside of a horse's mouth and how small that bit is. But it is able to instruct and tell a 1,500-pound Arabian stallion where to go and how to do it. Wow, that size proportion ratio was pretty strong. Then he thinks about the seagoing ships that were built back in the day. They were about 400 tons, they are about 50 yards long, and they could travel the seas if and only if, proportionally speaking, they had this small little rudder in the back. They would tell that ship where to go. And that rudder was no larger than maybe your front door. That's leverage. Then he goes on and thinks about a a small spark. When you think about that little sparkler you might have given your four-year-old last week, that one of those little blue dots of ash or smoke or spark could catch a breeze and land in the wrong little piece of grass and set hundreds of thousands of acres on fire, Uh, maybe destroy subdivisions or even cities. That's powerful. That's a little thing making a big influence. So now his imagination is reeling, and it's finally getting revved up and getting started, and he realizes, compared to that bit or rudder or that spark, it is nothing in comparison to the human tongue. That's real power. That's leverage. That four-inch, three-ounce thing caged behind your teeth, that can change the world. That's the, the ratio there is like nothing else. We have a world war to speak of that. The Second World War was a battle of tongues. Adolf Hitler had a way with words, and he started a war and motivated people to involve themselves in the Holocaust, costing hundreds of millions of lives. And on the other side, Winston Churchill, a man known for his golden tongue, got the allied forces involved in this war, kept, kept the allied forces involved in the war to the end so that we would finish, so that good would triumph over evil. Power, it says in Proverbs, I think, 11, or 18, rather, it says, the power of the tongue is life or death. Proverbs 8 or 11, 11 says this, by the blessing right by the blessing of the upright a city is exalted but by the mouth of the wicked it is overthrown nothing in creation has the potential impact in the size influence ratio for good or for bad right for what god wants to do or what evil is up to and here's the thing we all have a tongue and we all have the potential to use it for good or for evil and is any wonder then that Solomon is going to spend so much time in the book of Proverbs talking about the use of the tongue. We're going to study that today. Today, we're going to look at these two characters, right? The, the, the foolish person, right, that uses their tongue and a wise person that uses their tongue. The foolish person we're going to call the gossip and the wise person we're going to call the hero. And, and listen, when you just, just to, again, magnify the influence of the tongue and how much wisdom is spilled out towards that topic outside of the subject matter of wisdom itself, right, in the book of Proverbs, this is this close second of topics. Book of Proverbs talks more about the use of the tongue and the power of your mouth than outside of wisdom itself than anything else because it has the power to make or break friendships, people, civilizations. So, let's look at our first uh, person we're going to look at. This is the gossip. Her little hand sign is this. She's leaning in and whispering evil into the ears of the naive. That's the hand sign for that. And why is she foolish? Why is the foolish person foolish in words? Because they talk too much and because they lie. If you look at Proverbs, they'll say that the the gossip talks too much and they lie. When you look at the first part, talks too much, the foolish person, according to their mouth, they're they're foolish in the math or the science of probability. They just don't understand that the more you do, the more likely you are to get in trouble. It's pretty blunt here. I mean, it's it's kind of crass, but look at verse 10, 18. It says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like your mom? right? It's, it's, just, it's just, what he's saying here is like, look, if you talk less, you're less likely to make mistakes. The less you talk, the less you regret. So keep your mouth shut. I mean, look, it, it's like a Persian proverb says, a lengthy tongue and early death. He goes on, uh, the Persian proverb says, don't let your tongue cut off your head. Here's another blunt one, 21 watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and then you'll stay out of trouble even says in one of the Proverbs, even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, can appear wise. I mean, your next little social endeavor, just just go there and see how few words you can talk. You know, actually saying, just kind of, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. And people leave on their way home from that event, and they go, that guy, he's smart. That's the power of not talking. And what, what Solomon is saying to the gossip, who talks too much, to this person, he's saying, Just stop talking, and you're going to get yourself out of trouble. You do not, turns out, you do not have to participate in every conversation. <laughs> Did you know that whatever you're thinking or feeling, it does not need to be broadcast? As a matter of fact, you could be careful and think before you talk and try to talk as little as possible. First bit of advice from the book of Proverbs to the gossip is, Now, the second reason the gossip is evil is because the gossip lies. The gossip lies. And Lady Wisdom is violently attacking the liar. Solomon, if you go through the book of Proverbs, is going to be merciless towards a person that will not tell the truth. Um, Dozens and dozens of passages you'll, you'll find exalting the power of truth and encouragement and then you'll see the other extreme with this gossip that lies. Look at verse twelve twenty-two. It says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Detest. That's a pretty graphic uh, word there. It's very strong language. It means it makes God sick. It means his stomach is nauseous. It means he hates that. So why such figurative language? Because the very nature of God is truth. And we're made in that same nature. And so this this lying is abhorrent to him. The nature of God, the purity of his truth is unimaginable. And then when we're made in his image, it is contrary to our nature to lie. We're designed to hear truth and to be truth-tellers. As a matter of fact, there is no weight or depth of truth that you cannot endure. What you can not endure is lying. You can't do it and you can't receive it. It will ruin you because of our design. And so we have to learn how to lie. And when we're learning how to lie, it, it, we can feel the jolt inside of our souls. We know things are not well. We know this is not the right thing to do. That's some of the earliest sins of our conscience. When we're, when you, if you reflect back at your childhood, you'll, you'll probably remember the time you lied. Now, the question, there's always a fork in the road every time you do this, is are you going to get good at lying, or are you going to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life? Are you going to do whatever you have to say to get ahead or to get out of trouble or to impress other people? That's what's happening here. That's what lying is about, is about the nature of God and our nature and whether we're going to guard our hearts because that's the spring of our life. that's what matters the most. So God hates lying because it has so much destructive power. It, it, it destroys people and it destroys relationships. because those are both built on truth. It destroys, it destroys people and it destroys relationships. It destroys people. Look what it, these are multiple injuries here, verse 25, 18. Telling lies about other people is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. I don't know whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't think they were exposed to this proverb, because this proverb says otherwise. when, When you gossip about someone else, you tell lies about someone else, it's as though you're taking their character and you are bludgeoning it. You are stabbing their identity, right? You are piercing their very heart. And, and listen, if you, if, if you know adults, if you have, let me, let me make sure I get this right, adult siblings, do you understand? Like 30, 40, 50-year-old siblings, brothers and sisters. You know those types of people, and they don't like each other? They can't enjoy each other? Not just drifted apart for other reasons, but they can't stand each other? You know that sibling, adult sibling? Most of the time, in my experience, it's because of lazy parenting. It's because when they were children, the parents let them say whatever they wanted to back and forth. They'd let each other call each other names. They'd let each other dig deep into those hearts. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Yeah, names will destroy your soul. And so they let those people go after each other and let those things fester. And by the time they get out of the house, they realize... I don't need this sister or brother anymore. I don't think my heart needs to be exposed to that kind of injury anymore. Parents, it is cruel to be passive in your parenting when your children say things to each other that are harsh, that are not true, that are detrimental to the well-being of their souls. That's what Proverbs says. Lying, gossip, destroys people. The other reason God hates us is it destroys relationships. Lying destroys relationships. Look at 1628. It says, the troublemaker, the dishonest person, plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates best friends. Here's what a gossip or a troublemaker does. He or she is just going around, you know, with, with her little whisper, right, and she's just throwing out these seeds. You think the seeds are roses? No, they're weeds, friends. And these lifetime friendships that are hard as concrete set in stone, and these little seeds of of weeds get planted in there, right, and they break through the power of what it says, separates best friends. So past memories are destroyed, current potential intimacy, and then the future of what they could be together are eliminated because of this disastrous person, this dishonest person, this troublemaker because let me tell you the physics of relationships relationships are built upon the bedrock of truth truth is truth is all you have in relationships for the, for the context of knowing and being known it, that's what you, that's the currency that you're exchanging with with one another it's truth and and so so we're we're and that's part of our design and so without truth in relationships Marriages and families are destroyed. Business practices without truth. Deals can't get done or they're not legitimate anyway. Right? Friendships cannot go any deeper than the truth level in them. Right? Teamwork doesn't happen. Even governments that lie can't be trusted and then they're not effective. You just kinda go, yeah, well, they'll say whatever they have to say and then there's no longer right, um, a currency. Churches are split by gossips, all the time. Because relationships are built upon this bedrock of truth, and you can only go as deep as the truth allows. So when you teach your children, for example, that they shouldn't lie, and they're about to go into timeout or whatever the punishment is in your family, truth is a very big deal, because you don't want them to get good at lying. But you need to explain to them why truth is so important. Because look, little Billy or Sally, we can't love each other and we can't know each other if if we lie. Because we can't, we, we can only we can only know each other as deep as we tell the truth. And so, honey, I've got I've gotta get you to stop doing this so I can know you and you can know me, and I can love you and you can love me. There's so much at stake here, and you need to know that ahead of time. And whatever language you have to use to help them, and whatever event or parenting model you have to do to help them understand the power of relationships is built upon truth. That's why God hates. That's why God hates it. He hates lying. It destroys people. It destroys relationships. And that's, that's life. That's what life is about in many respects. So Proverbs is going to teach us three ways to live with gossips. So you, you have a gossip in your life, Three ways you're supposed to live your life around that person, okay? Three pieces of wisdom, three pieces of advice. The first piece of advice is to get them out of your life. They're a form of a scoffer, if you remember the scoffer, and, and these high-handed, fisted, you know, high-fisted people that in premeditatedly uh, sin against God and other people. So Proverbs is saying this. Solomon says, Solomon says, don't hire one. If you hire a, a liar, you've got to figure out a way to fire that that uh, that liar. You don't want to date a liar, and for God's sake, and your sake, you don't want to marry a liar. You don't want to have a liar on your team. You don't want to. Definitely, don't want to play golf with a liar. You're going to lose every single time. It's always going to be, you know, par or below. Look, let me just make sure that this is clear. Look what it says in Proverbs 19. I've got. A or 20 verse 19. I have a few translations. The gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Here's another way of saying it. Therefore do not associate with a simpleton babbler. Here's another way. So avoid everyone who talks too much. <laughs> That's what he says. You know how you fix it in your life? You get away. You having trouble on your soccer team being a team? Having a trouble on your marketing team being a team? Having a having trouble in the neighborhood being connected to each other, there's a gossip in there, I'll bet. There's a gossip in there. And you have to find that gossip out, and you have to confront them. Because until you do, the relationships are built on trust, and trust is being destroyed, and this person is scattering weeds and and separating close friends. And the sooner you get on that, the better. Melinda was involved in a a group of gals, and it didn't matter how much she tried to bring everybody together in a kind of a unified, purpose-driven kind of teamwork sort of thing, nothing was happening. It was counterproductive. And then finally she just got on the phone and called every single gal and said, there's gossip in here. Here are the rules. You have something, go to that person. If you don't have something good to say, don't say it. You want to be on the team still? Do you? This is the way we play. A couple people left the team, and then harmony broke out. You get that person off your soccer team, your marketing team, your business team, whatever it might be, your neighborhood, and things will break. Yeah, listen, here's, here's one for you. It might, have, might work for you. You have trouble getting along with the in-laws? You know, no matter how much you try, no matter what you do, acts of compassion, sympathy, care, but it never seems to, like, ever get traction, I bet there's a gossip in that family tree. Call them up. Let me tell you, gossips are cowards. That's why they gossip. That's why they're whispering to somebody off. So it doesn't take much. You don't have to raise your voice. You just have to say, hey, did you write this email? And your troubles are over. First thing Solomon says in dealing with a liar or a gossip is to get them out of your life. The second thing, he says, is to stop listening. You have to stop listening. They'll only go as far as you allow them. They lean in and whisper, whisper but you lean into them and hear. There's something very, two things that are very insidious in this next proverb that says a lot about the bent nature of the human soul. 18.8 says, rumors are dainty morsels, and they sink deep into one's heart. The true truths here I want you to see is, one, oh, we love these juicy rumors, don't we? Gosh, I never thought about it, but there's a whole genre of magazines built upon this, right? <laughs> this might be true. But it doesn't matter. It's a really good story. So we, the point is, it's, it's as sweet as the donuts out there in the lobby. It's about that bad for you. It, and the second part is, it goes down deeply. The, the point is, and the proverb is, it gets into right, your mind, those things that were said about that person, and now it contaminates or can, can seriously corrupt the way you see that person from that point forward. It has already poisoned the reputation of that person. And so you have to stop listening to the gossip. You can't. Here's what you do. The first time you hear somebody being part of this gossip, you say, you know what, I don't even think that's my business. Boom. That's 101. That's pretty nice. Two, gossip comes back and says a little bit more. You go, here's the thing. You need to take that straight to them. No, 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 listen, I insist. That's two. Third time around, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I, I told you it's none of my business. I told you and insisted that you take it to that person. Did you do that? No, you didn't. Okay. So here's the third thing. Our relationship just bottomed out. We can't talk anymore because I can't trust you anymore. You can say it a little better than that. I'm trying to be efficient, okay? (laughs) But essentially that's what's happened because I can't be part of this addiction that you have to gossip. So how about them horns? we got to keep it shallow now. Stop listening. And the last thing it says is what do you do if you're the gossip? What if you're the one that is not guarding their heart? What if you're the one that's getting used to lying? What if you're the one that likes to scatter seeds? What it's, I'll tell you this. This is a cure for the symptom, not the disease, but this is a quick cure for the symptom. We'll talk about the disease later, but the quickest cure that I have found for gossip in my life is confession, confession with forgiveness, deep on both. You gossip or say something about somebody, all you have to do is call that person up you spoke to and said, here are the three things I said that were lies. And then you call the person you gossiped about, and you say, here's what I've been saying about you. Would you please forgive me? Friends, if you are guarding your heart because it's the wellspring of your life, you do that two times, you just might be cured for a while. Your ego alone can't take that kind of beating. And the next time you're bending over to whisper, you're going to go, oh gosh, I do not want to pick up the phone in a half an hour from now and make this thing right. So, a simple cure for the symptom is to take responsibility for the decisions you make. But if you're good at this, your soul is bent. You're a traitor against truth. You're on the other side of the wall of where God rules. And so, you should be very concerned if you lie well, gossip well. It destroys people. It destroys relationships. So, you can trade up if you want. Anybody want to trade up? Anybody want to go from a gossip to over here the hero? Anyone? <laughs> There's two right there. Good. I'm glad you joined me today. <laughs> Here's what it is to be a hero. Here's our hero. He's a little fireman, he's pulling a baby out of a fire. You can be a hero. That's my punch today. I want you to want to be a hero. A hero understands the power of encouraging words. A liar they're destroying cities. The hero, they're encouraging. Why do we call it the hero? Here's why they're calling it a hero. Because I'll bet that if you made a list of the people that have absolutely altered your perspective in life in a positive way, some, someone that has built you up, a school teacher, a parent, a mentor, a friend, maybe sometimes even a neighbor, if you made a list of that one or five people, they're a hero in your life, and they used words to get there. They used words to make themselves a hero in your mind because they understood the power of encouragement. Look at 1624. Kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the soul and even healthy for the body. Simple power of encouragement. Heroes know the power of encouragement. Mark Twain said, I can live a whole week on a good compliment. You think about that. I can live a whole week on a good compliment. I bet most of us could. Some of us are living a lot of our lifetime on a few good choice, encouraging words that were given to us by someone we respected. That's the power of words. We see this all the time. You see parents and friends rooting someone on at the Heartbreak Hill, part of a race. We see people invest in people's lives and encourage them when they're discouraged. We see people inflicting courage on a person that's cowardly. We see people say words of... Hope, when people have lost that, it's the power of encouraging words. That's how you become a hero. You can be a hero, okay? You can be the boy or the girl, the man or the woman, the husband, or wife, the wife, the co-worker, the coach, that person in someone else's life. And let me add this, the sibling. You big brothers and big sisters, you have so much power. And if your parents haven't told you that, let God's Bible tell you that. You can be the hero of your younger brother and sister. Use that power to become a hero in their life. Here's how. Can I tell you how to be a hero? Okay, Just jot a note down occasionally, pick up the phone and call someone, look into a person's eyes. Here are the ingredients right out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3.3. Never let truth and kindness leave you, Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep into your heart. That's like a cookbook for being a hero. I mean, I hope, I hope you're seeing the visuals here that our artist here is trying to uh, get us to imagine, right? That when a hero gets dressed, they go over to their vanity and they see two necklaces there and they're not leaving the house without them. The hero says, hey, I'm going to work today, or I'm going to spend some time with some friends, or I'm just going to be a mom or a dad. And they put on truth, and then they put on kindness. They put on faithfulness. They put on gentleness. Those two necklaces are always, never let truth or kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep into your heart. That's how it works. That's how it works. Truth... It's, I hope I don't have to explain too much what truth is. It's self-evident. It's the way things truly are. It's the way things are right. It's, it's the way God has defined the universe. It's the way God is working in a person's life. And the other side of, of that thing, that other necklace you're wearing, is kindness or gentleness. It is, it is the delivery. It, you know what? It's not the delivery so much, okay? It is the motive of the person delivering the truth. Look what these passages say, 15.4. Gentle words are like a tree of life. Pleasant words are very persuasive. Those whose speech is gracious will have kings as friends. How did Mary Poppins say it? Yeah, a spoonful of sugar will help the medicine go down. Kindness, gentleness helps truth and faithfulness be heard. You want to be a hero? It's kindness and truth. It's faithfulness and gentleness. That's how you be a truth. That's how you be a hero. You have to have both. If you, if you have one or the other, it either won't work or it will actually be destructive. You have to have both. So part one of the hero part of our passage, or learning anyway, is to be a hero. And the second part is you need to get a hero. You need to get someone into your life or a group of people in your life. We've structured most of the church around that value that you'd get someone into your life that can wear regularly before they leave the house truth and gentleness. Someone will, who come into your life and say the things that are truthful and loving and lovingly truthful. Someone who can say, you need to stop dating this guy last week. You absolutely need some marriage counseling and here's a card I've already called. They're expecting you to call. Here's one that might be heard. Your mother is not a good person. She is actually evil. And when you understand that truth, you'll be able to love yourself, other people and her. Because that truth will set you free. That's the power of truth. That's where you can be. You could be the type of person that goes to someone else and just says, "Your self-righteousness." is costing you everything. Let me maybe show you a way out of that. You need to be a hero, and you need to have a hero. You need to let kindness and love never, ever leave you. You need to let those aspects and attributes find themselves living comfortably deep within your soul, it says. Words are life-giving. Look at this. Be a hero. Proverbs ten eleven. the words of the godly are, living, uh, are a life-giving fountain. Be a hero. Words of the godly are like sterling silver. Have a hero. The words of the wise bring healing. The words of the hero change people's lives, friends. They, they inject hope in hopeless people. They give courage to people that require courage. They heal people that have deep wounds. That's what a hero can do. That's what you can do. That's what you can be. Now, we've talked a lot about words this morning, but you probably know if, if you've been around the Bible for a while that these words of power, For good or for bad. If you want to be a hero and make angels sing and demons cry, it's not about words. It's about something much deeper. Words are symptoms of a cause, and the cause is much deeper. The cause of words is the heart. And you probably know that. In the Bible, it says that. Uh, Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about. The words of people, but what the real problem is? He says, "Look, how do you name or even judge a a tree? You judge a tree by its fruit. So you, you you look. You can't get apples from a thorn bush. And so, from a a good person does good deeds because they have good in their heart stored up. and And evil deeds are done by evil people because of the evil." In their heart that's stored up. And so he says this, the overflow of the heart, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I'm not against the discipline of talking less. I'm not against the disciplines of, of what Proverbs is teaching you, but, but Proverbs is just trying to show you that words are the vocal cords of the heart. And friends, you can't change your heart you're in out over your head on this one. You're out of your league. You can't change your heart. You can discipline your tongue, but you can't change the sewage that's causing it to do that. Only Jesus Christ can. Let Jesus Christ dress you right, with, with gentleness. Let him put the necklace of truth around you. But before he can, you're going to have to die. Only grace can transform a heart. Only grace can transform a heart. And so for some of you, that means you need to understand that your own righteousness, your own goodness, does not change what motivates you. Only, Only God's grace can do that. And that's what salvation is all about. And if you don't know what that means... Uh, for the first time, what it means to be born again, the word is, or the phrases, born again, That I want you to write that down in the bulletin before you te- tear it off. Write your name. I want to know more about a relationship with God. There's that. Put it in the plate when it passes, and we'll have someone talk to you in the next two weeks or so about that. But for all of the rest of you, if you think you're going to wake up one day and discipline yourself and say, I'm not going to be cynical anymore, you're wrong. You're very wrong. The reason you're cynical is because you trace it back from your vocal cords down your throat to your soul. It is the worldview of your soul. That's why you're cynical. It is the outlook of all of life that has to change. And so you might be born again, but around here we say, you might need to be born again again. You, you You need to address that issue, and that needs to get back up on the cross and die another death that outlook of life that where you, know, you deserve everything, or you're embittered, or you're jealous, whatever motivates all that cynicism, that's the part of you that you might like because you get what you want. It's killing you, and it's killing other people, and it kills relationships because it's a lie, and it's detestable to God. You have to die again. You know, I guess, I'm just making this up. I'm sorry, it's not in the notes, so uh, we might go over. I I don't know much about cancer, but I'm going to wing this, okay? So there's like a chemotherapy you take for cancer, right? You, You take it, and it goes through the whole system. That's maybe born again. The radiation where they line up the dot, and they nail you very specifically with this one thing that kills, that's being born again again. And some of you need to be born again again. And you can ask some people around you, and they'll tell you what needs to die. What needs, you know, the radiation, that zap, because cynicism and self-righteousness and ingratitude and sarca- sarcasm, snippity snippity snap, that is not from God. And if you've been a believer for a while, it's because it's working for you it's still sin and has to be tended to. Better to be holy and not get what you want than to continue getting what you want and not be holy. The joy that God promises us in life is independent of circumstances, but it is entirely dependent on holiness. Be holy, and you'll be joy-filled. But you might need to get back on that cross. That's how you change your heart. You let God in there to have his way with you. Hey, can you imagine this for just a second? If we could just like collectively all trade up to be heroes, can you imagine? There's, there's, a fair, there's enough people here that if we all did that, can you imagine the power of influence on our world? I don't mean the whole world, I just mean our world, of being the hero on the soccer team in the office, on the na- in the neighborhood, in the marriage, in your relationships with your siblings, in your parenting. What if you were the hero? What if, what if we were just like a fire station with nothing but heroes here? That could be very influential, like more, way more influential than a bit in an uh, Arabian stallion or a rudder on a big seafaring boat or even a spark tearing down a fire, it'd be way more powerful than that because we would have the breath of God's Spirit blowing on us because he loves truth, and he loves love. And when truth and love work together in the words of his saints, who knows what might happen. Let's see. Let's pray that we could be a hero. Lord Jesus, I do lift up uh, the symptoms of our illness that, Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would help us know that what comes out of our mouth is coming from our very, the depths of our souls, and then we could do our own diagnostic work and know what needs to be done. There's uh, some people here that need the whole chemo thing where they need a whole new heart, and I'd ask that they'd have the courage to fill out that bulletin slip and just say, I, my whole relationship with God is built on him being a boss. I don't know about this gift thing. And then for so many of the rest of us, Lord, that have been allowing our tongues to advertise our illness, I'd ask that we would be tired of its effectiveness and finally grieving its danger and its damage, that we would desire to be born again, 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 and again. Lord, we lift up our souls to you that we would be heroes, for your glory, and for those around us, that they might enjoy life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.